D-Dog's award-winning barbecue rubs put the perfect balance of spicy and sweet on your ribs, chicken, all beef and pork, and more. Whether it's slow-cooked barbecue or grilled steaks and burgers or soups, vegetables, or anything else from your kitchen, D-Dog's award-winning rubs make good food great. Four flavors, original, maple, apple, and peach, each made from the freshest all-natural ingredients. Order yours today at www.ddogsbarbecue.com. That's D-D-O-G-S-B-B-Q.com. D-Dogs Barbecue Rubs. It's better than ketchup. Welcome to the Barbecue Roundtable, a monthly show where a select panel of guests talk about a specific barbecue topic. From backyard pitmasters to professionals on the competition barbecue circuit, there's sure to be a wide range of opinions and views on how to prepare the best barbecue. If you're interested in participating in a future roundtable show, visit our homepage at www.bbq-the-4-theletteru.com and click on the email button to submit your request. And now, here's the host of the outrageously successful Barbecue Central podcast show, who will now be acting as the moderator of the Barbecue Roundtable, Greg Rempe. Thank you, Jim Morgan, and welcome to the Barbecue Roundtable, a monthly show where a select panel of guests talk about a specific barbecue topic. On the agenda tonight, what most would consider the staple of the American barbecue, pork ribs. But not just pork ribs. Perhaps we'll get into some beef ribs, too. We have a new panel of guests sitting in tonight. So let's take a few minutes to learn a little bit more about them. Once again, here's Jim Morgan with the intros. Our first panel member is a pork rib aficionado and is also a writer and photographer in the Chicago area. He's published hundreds of articles about food and drink in the Washington Post and the Chicago Tribune and is currently working on a book called Amazing Ribs, which is also the name of his website. Blowing in from the Windy City, here's Craig Meathead Goldwyn. Panel member number two is the 2006 South Carolina State Barbecue Champion. He's also a charter member and a senior judge for the South Carolina Barbecue Association. But most importantly, he's the guy who provides the coattails for Finney to ride on in all his competition success. Here's Jack Weybor. Our third panel member owns the Florida Barbecue Association competition circuit, currently holding Team of the Year honors for four years running. He's also rapidly becoming the guest with the most interviews on the Barbecue Central and Barbecue Roundtable shows. If you're looking for someone to do some Barry White voice work, give this guy a tryout. Straight out of the homebarbecue.com pit, here's Kevin Bevington. And our final member is a man who needs no introduction. He's making his second appearance on the Barbecue Roundtable, a total only exceeded by some guy named Minion. Now, if you want someone to cook on your award-winning barbecue team and take all the credit for it, then this is your man. Straight from North Carolina on the weekends and South Carolina during the week, here's Vinny. Now, before we get into the uh, rib cooking techniques, why don't we go around and survey the panel and see what everybody's cooking on. We'll start with Chris Finney. When I'm cooking at home, I'm cooking on a WSM or a couple of them and a Weber kettle. When I cook with Jack, I cook on whatever he's going to list in just a minute. Jack? Oh, the list goes on for me. The uh, The classic of the bunch is an Oklahoma Joe 30-inch uh, tube. It's one of the old, old ones. I picked it up off of uh, Kevin at Burning Desires years ago. I have a Big Jim uh, custom cooker as well, a Lazy Q. I uh, have a Weber Smoky Mountain. 
a Weber kettle, and I just finished up uh, day before yesterday a new Stomper clone. So I'm, that's actually burning right now as we speak with ribs in it. Craig, uh, I'm just coming over to his house. Um, uh, <laughs> Weber Smoky Mountain, Weber Kettle, Weber Genesis, uh, Charbroil uh, Set, uh, Masterbuilt Electric. Uh, I got a gasser out there. I got one of every little small patio cooker I can think of practically, and a few I've bought and sold and sent back. Kevin. Well, right now I, I'm using the FEC 100s. Um, that's what I'm using in competition at home. I've got a uh, Stumps Gravity Feed uh, 222. Aside from pork ribs, what other ribs have you barbecued? And uh, we'll start with Craig. Are there other kinds of ribs? <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> I'll, 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 deign to, uh, I'll cook beef ribs every now and then. Haven't tried fish ribs yet. I hear they're good. Jack? I've cooked, I cook beef ribs on occasion. I've done venison ribs. Cooked a goat once or twice. I've uh, done a rack of lamb or two in the uh, Weber Smoky Mountain. Kevin? Well, I've done uh, beef ribs, of course. And then uh, I've, I've also done the uh, veal, veal ribs as well. Chris Finney? Just uh, beef along with pork. Uh, hadn't gone for anything exotic, and my wife won't eat veal, so those aren't going to be on there. Do any of you guys use remote thermometers or pit temperature control devices when you're cooking? And uh, we'll start with Kevin. Well, the FEC has its own built-in uh, pit controller, uh, but no remote thermometer. Um, I just use an instant read. I, actually, with ribs, I don't. I don't use a instant read. Finny. Well, as you might know, I do like the Mavericks and use them often. Uh, if I'm doing ribs, though, it's just monitoring the pit temperature. And I also own a Guru, which I don't use that often. But if I if I decide to, then I don't use the the Maverick, and I just use the the setting on the Guru to keep the temperature at where I want it. Jack? I do have a new temp that I use. I don't use it for monitoring meat temperature. I usually use it for monitoring pit temperature. Mostly in the Oklahoma Joe, it gives me the opportunity to fire the Oklahoma Joe up in the driveway, lay the pit temperature, lay the remote thermometer on the grill, and go in the house and sit in the easy chair, watch a little television, and keep track of what's going on in the pit. Meathead. Uh, I'm a Maverick ET73 devotee, and... Uh uh, I wish I had a guru. I've been contemplating buying one, but uh, with my small little pits, really not necessary. Uh, I, I really am a strong believer and advocate of thermometers everywhere you can stick them. All right, so now we'll get into the uh, pre-cooking techniques. Do you use spare ribs or baby backs? And we'll start with Kevin. Uh, I, I prefer spares, and that's uh, competition and otherwise. Any reason in particular? Well, I think if the spares cooked correctly, I don't. I don't think you can beat it. Meathead. Um, I'll cook anything you give me, um, and I'll eat anything you give me, and drink anything you give me. But uh, if I had my druthers, I'd uh, take a St. Louis cut, which, as you know, is the uh, uh, the upper part of the spare, and uh, I really like them because of the marbling and the fat, and the fact that they lay flat; they're not curved. That uh, Gives me some real advantages uh, when I try a couple of different things with them. Jack? I cook them both. 
I find that when you're in competition, a lot of times the uh, baby backs are what's expected, although that's coming around these days. Uh, I, I prefer, personally prefer spare ribs. I like to cut them St. Louis cut, uh, get the brisket off, take the flaps off, and you know use those for munchies during the cook. Chris Finney. Uh, I'll cook both also, but I, I do prefer spares, and if I'm going to have spares, I'd rather they be St. Louis cut, but I'm not real picky when it's just for me. If I'm, if I'm doing it for somebody else, I'll do whatever they want. Do you trim the ribs at all? And uh, we'll start with Craig. Well, you know, of course you got to skin them. Uh, I'm, I'm a real strong believer in getting the skin off. Uh, that's the uh, membrane on the concave side of the, uh, uh, the slab. Uh, I think that's just like a condom. It keeps the <laughs> flavor of the rub and the smoke out of the meat. And so I always want to get it off. I know a lot of restaurants don't. Most competition cooks get it off of there. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll square it up so it looks nice, and uh, the trimmings, uh, it's just for snacking while I cook. Finney? Uh, same as Craig, I'll take the membrane off, and uh, as I said before, if it's uh, spares, I like to get them to St. Louis cut. Uh, on a baby back, I uh, do the same thing, pull the membrane off, and there's, I like to take that one little well, it's not little. It runs the length of the, the ribs, the one muscle that seems to run in the wrong direction from everything else. I like to take that off just because I like the way it looks when they're done better. But, you know, that's just me, I guess. You're talking about that, that's like a strip of line that runs right, right across the top? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kevin? Well, obviously, in cooking spares, I'm gonna, I say St. Louis, and, and uh, you know, of course, yeah, you've got to remove the membrane. I don't cook that many uh, loin backs or, or baby backs anymore. I mean, it's when I do, I did the same thing as far as uh, that Finney did. I mean, I, I like to trim that that uh, that roll of loin that runs right across the top of the uh, of of the rack. And Jack, I do trim up uh, pretty good. I like to take that piece of strip off of the top of the loin back as well. Uh, there's a an, on a baby back right where it hooks up into the into the spinal column of the on, on the top of the baby back. There's a, a set of knuckles in there. A lot of times, yeah. if I'm uh, buying them from a reputable meat cutter, I'll go ahead and have them saw about a quarter inch at the top of that off. That way, when I'm cutting them for the box, they give me a nice straight cut through rather than uh, the knife gliding through and they taking that little bit of a turn right at the end. Uh, the yeah. prettier you can make them, the straighter you can make them look, the better off you are. That's smart. Yeah, for spare ribs, I usually, you know, like I said, I cut them up as I cut them up uh, as as close to looking like baby backs as I can. Uh, when you got to put them in a box, there's not there's not a lot of room in one of those nine by nines, so you got to make sure that you get them as small as you possibly can, uh, lengthwise. Uh, that allows you that you know that that will give you a good straight cut as well. Um, and I like to take the flaps off the back and trim them up nice and square. Can I jump in here? Yeah, with go ahead. Yep. You know, I don't compete, but uh, I do eat. And uh, uh, I, I prefer the uh, St. Louis cut, but I do cook baby backs a lot. And when I do, I like to buy the whole loin and um, uh, carve it up myself and leave a little extra meat on, on the top. Because you can do that when you're carving itself. You can, you can leave a little loin meat on there. And uh, that, that, that's kind of fun for a servant to your guest to have a little extra meat on top of there. I don't know about how that would work in a competition, but it, it, it's nice to serve that way. 
I've actually done that too. I've done it several times. Actually, it's almost like a pork chop. <laughs> if you uh, if if you uh, if you leave enough of it on there, the only the only thing I would not I would definitely not do that in competition because you actually have two different types of meats going on. You've got you've got the loin that you're leaving the extra on there, which you're going to need to cook to a different temperature than the actual rib meat below it. So it'd yeah, be kinda... it's hard to get it done right that right. way. But uh, it, it's nice and meaty, and uh, it, you're right. It's sort of like any pork chop, but it it it, it gives pe- people a little something extra to sink their teeth into. With St. Louis cut all the meats in between the bones. With baby backs, it's on top of the bones. Do you guys use different rub for your ribs than you would your pork butts? And we'll start with Jack. Absolutely. Uh, pork butts are usually a, a sugarless rub for me. Uh, when I'm doing ribs, ribs are I treat ribs kind of more or less like dessert. Uh, we like to put a little bit of sugar in there, a little bit of butter. Uh, we like to have different flavors come out in the in the ribs that you'll be able to taste a lot of contrasting, contrasting but flavors that go together. Finny, uh, yeah, I certainly do. I mean, I have used the same rub that I use on pork butts, but it's it's not a common thing. It's I normally use one that's formulated just for ribs, and it's a little more layered flavors than, than what I would use on a pork butt or shoulder or whatever. It's uh, you know, a little more compli- complex rub, I guess you would say. Kevin? Oh, I, I use my commercial rib rub on ribs. Uh, I don't use that on, uh, on pork butts. I've got, my, uh, I've got a blend that I, that I put together that I don't sell that I use on, on, uh, on pork. Meathead? Um, I never do anything twice. I'm experimental. I'm trying to write a book, and I mean, I do everything from Chinese char siu ribs to South Carolina to North Carolina, Texas. Uh, I, 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 I'm just always trying new rubs. I read everybody's recipes. I've read most of these guys. I steal everything. Oh, no, never do it twice. How far in advance do you rub your ribs? And we'll start with Kevin. I like to... Uh... Well, I, I, without getting too in-depth, but I'd, I like to put the rub on about a first layer about four hours in, and that's that's just the rub of, that I use. It's not a heavy salt content, so um, but usually I let it marinate in that. And uh, then about 30 minutes before the cook, I'll put another layer on. I let that meld in, and uh, then about 10 minutes before, I'll put another layer on that will give it some texture when it goes into the cooker. Jack? I'm, I follow uh, that process pretty close. I, uh, I, I, I've been in the past been letting rubs, rubs sit as long as possible, six, eight hours in advance, let them sit overnight. When I do them for myself uh, at home, I like to get that kind of meat on a stick or, or bacon on a stick kind of uh, flavor to it. I like it. Uh, but certainly not everybody does like that particular profile. Uh, I've been experimenting lately with just taking the ribs out of the cooler, uh, uh, throwing a, a layer of rub on it a half an hour before I put them in, you know, let them get nice and sticky, and then dropping them right on, and kind of comparing the differences between the two profiles and how they're doing, and and how they taste, and and so on and so forth. Craig, if I have the time, I like to do them uh, six to eight, twelve hours in advance. I think it it pulls something out of the out of the meat that creates. A, I've heard it called a pellicle. Helps develop bark. I still don't know what the heck causes great bark i'm still trying to figure it out i think 
uh, what's in the rub and when you put it on there is a big factor, and I'd love to hear what these guys think about that. We'll let Finney answer first, and then if, the, uh, if anybody else wants to jump in on that backside question, go ahead. Like to get it on there as soon as I can, as early as possible. I, I'm not gonna like do it, you know, days in advance, but uh, late at night and to start them cooking early in the mornings uh, is good. And normally, as early as I can get it on there, I do. Do any of you guys on purpose let your ribs come up to room temperature prior to putting them on the pit? And we'll start with Jack. No, I don't let my ribs go to room temperature. I, I've got a. I've been in the restaurant business most of my life, 30 years or so. <laughs> and uh, letting things go up to room temperature before you cook it has been a no-no. It's been ingrained in my brain forever. So I, I don't let anything come up to, to room temperature. Although I've seen it done. I've seen all cuts of meat come up to room temperature. I've seen all cuts of meat come up to room temperature in a 90-degree contest. And, and uh, it's just not something that I, I like to do. Finney? No, it's for ribs, uh, just straight out of the uh, fridge and onto the cooker. Don't want to worry about germs as much as I have to. And uh, also, I, I want the, the meat to be as cold as it can be, really, when it goes on there, because I think that helps get the smoke ring in the rib. Craig? I'm married to the editor of uh, Food Safety Magazine. <laughs> she works for the FDA. Enough said. Uh, if, I, if I if I do anything risky, I'm eating alone and sleeping on the couch. Uh, but um, I, I've heard the same thing that uh, uh, I just heard a, a minute ago, that uh, uh, coming out of the fridge uh, onto the smoker helps develop uh, uh, or helps the smoke absorb and helps develop the smoke ring. Uh, it comes out of the fridge right on the smoker for me. Final word goes to Kevin. Well, it's just out long enough for the rub to, to work into the meat and then into the cooker. This question is obviously seeing a lot of light uh, when it comes to briskets and pork butts. But has anybody ever injected ribs? And we'll start with Kevin. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean I, I guess I've tried just about anything at some point in time. I, I certainly haven't tried it in uh, competition, but I, I've... I, like I said, I've tried it. I don't do it. I mean, I've I've watched people inject margarine and butter and all kinds of things uh, into ribs. Personally, I don't do that. <laughs> I, have, I have other things that I think work just as well. Funny? No, I've never done it. I'm sort of lazy when it comes to doing stuff like that, and I'm not going to stick a needle in between every rib bone when I'm cooking, and <laughs> I'm not going to inject ribs unless, unless somebody keeps winning doing it and, and I find out about it, and then I'll start. Craig? No, uh-uh. Um, I love the taste of pork, and for me, it's all about balance, and uh, I want I want a, a nice mixture of uh, smoke and seasoning and sauce and pork flavor, and I think sticking liquids into the meat covers over the pork flavor, even on bigger cuts of meat. And so I'm not not a big fan of it. I like to taste my pork. Pork. Jack. No, I've brined and marinated, but I've never injected. I'm not too sure the needle I use would actually fit in between the bones of a of a, of a baby back rib or or a loin back. That's interesting. I, I wouldn't mind playing around with it somewhere along the way, but certainly it's never <laughs> anything that I've really stuck my mind to say I'm going to go ahead and inject some ribs this weekend. Are there any other pre-cooked steps that you guys are taking that we haven't already discussed? And we'll start with Craig. I've brined. 
Um, uh, God, I kind of feel like I'm confessing here now, you know. I've been known to Brian. I can't see your face, uh, so that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Forgive me, brothers. I've been known to Brian. Um, 30 minutes to an hour maximum. Um, it, uh, the, again, you don't want to kill the pork flavor, uh, and it can. It can suck the uh, natural juices out of the meat. But it can pump it up with moisture and flavoring, uh, which is a form of injection, I guess. I'm not. I don't. I don't bother with it most of the time. But I've been known to do it on occasion just for the fun of it. I'm still not sure whether it's a good idea or not. I've been known to marinate. Um, I like brining a little better. It do, it does it does make it moister, but and it but it does make it a little saltier. Don't ever go beyond an hour in in brining though. Kevin. Well, I uh, I like using a, an oil base on on the ribs before putting the rub on. Uh, they're high grade canola or um, or extra virgin olive oil, um, especially with my commercial rub. It uh, just, really seems to work well with it. Just as an adherent. Well, not only that. I mean, I, I'll I'll really rub it heavily uh, into the grain of the meat and. Uh, uh, it really helps trap moisture uh, and and keep moisture in the rib, and I I think it also helps pull the uh, the rub flavor into the ribs as well. Jack, I've I've been known to use uh, mustard on ribs. I've been known to use olive oil, canola oil. Uh, lately, I've been spraying ribs down with uh, butter flavored pan before I put on the the rub. Uh, just a little something. I use it more as an adherent than anything. And Craig talked about bark development. I find that oil uh, adds a lot to the bark development. Uh, the mustard doesn't really give a, a, a flavor profile to the to the rib itself in the end. But I think that the the oil that they use to to put the mustard together is what really helps bring all the flavors together. There's 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 a little bit of flavor in there. I'm sure it's left over, although I've never really noticed it. Chris Finney gets the last word. I've been known to put Worcestershire sauce on or mustard or and every once in a while some oil but uh and I think it was uh I forget who said it said first said they put oil on there but uh was Kevin it, it, all right if uh you know you adhere to such thought you know a lot of people say that a coating of oil will help the meat absorb the heat better because the oil will take the heat in and it'll 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 help the the meat get the heat more evenly i don't know whether it's true or not but i've read it a bunch of times by from different people so it, it must be something to it i've seen since i don't compete i i get to watch you guys cook and i've seen a lot of guys do that um, rub them down with oil before they put them on there, and I think the theory is is the same as rubbing down a steak with oil before you put it on the grill. Is that it's going to help brown, which is the fo- which is the bark formation, and that makes a lot of sense. Except most of us are cooking at low temp, and I I don't know. I got to ask Harold McGee what he says about that, but uh, uh, whether it's high enough temperature to 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 form uh, a, a browning, but. Uh, uh, it makes a lot of sense in theory. I don't know whether it really works, though. Kevin, you're an oil guy. Are are you looking to get any type of color to that, or is it? No. no? Okay. <laughs> it's all about moisture and flavor for me. And now we're going to go to the cook segment of the uh, round table. First question in the cooking section, what kind of wood smoke do you use for flavor? And we'll start with Craig. I haven't settled on anything in particular. I, I like to experiment. I have uh, every kind of 
chunk, chip, and uh, pellet known to man in uh, a box that is occupying an overly large section of my deck. I can see some that I like better than others. I'm kind of fond of oak lately, but uh, that's today. Tomorrow I may tell a different story. Jack? I like to use the fruit woods more than anything. Uh, apple's always been the top of the line and cherry. Uh, I have availability to both of them here in the Carolinas. Uh, I use hickory as a base fire usually or uh, pecan, a mixture of those two. But I'll always make sure that I throw a couple sticks of uh, apple or cherry in there. I'd love to get a hold of some peach wood, but I think Myron's got it all taken up. <laughs> Chris Finney? Well, I like to use hickory because I'm a good North Carolina boy. and That's the wood of choice there for everything. But I do, I like uh, apple and cherry woods, and I do like to get peach wood when I can to to use on ribs because with the ribs being such a a thin amount of meat on there, you you can get the little nuances from the from the wood smoke that you won't get on a big big chunk of meat. Kevin, well, I mean, when I was cooking a lot at home and so forth, you know, just regular barbecuing, I used to mix it up pretty good. Um, a lot of the fruit woods. I mean, in the last, you know, five and a half years or six six years, whatever, I, I, it's, it's really been just hickory. Kevin, you live in Florida, don't you? Yeah, I sure do. Do you use orange wood and lemon wood down there a lot? Now, orange now, I, you don't find a lot of lemon down here, but but certainly, you know, grapefruit and orange, you know, that, that citrus, that's actually a pretty, pretty great... Uh, great wood to use it's really it's a mild smoke it, it if you're going to compare it to anything you'd have to compare it to an oak as far as, as you know it's a it's a high heat wood and it's a, it's a pretty mild smoke I, I think i think a real good question i'd like to ask is what kind of woods do you guys stay away from well luckily i'm the host and i'm not going to ask that question <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding I want is, your job i'm just kidding is uh is there anything that you guys do steer away from when you're doing rips we'll start with uh start with finney no, there's not really. I mean, I can't unless I'm getting getting pellets or something. There, you know, are the the barbecuers delight whatever it is. There's not a a whole lot that I can get that I wouldn't wouldn't use. Of course, you know, I'm not going to throw a chunk of cedar in there because that'd just be wrong. But pine, <laughs> pine, yeah, I got lots of pine, but I'm not going to throw that in there either. Kevin, as far as smoking, I I would have to stay away from mesquite. Um, even though that's probably my my favorite wood to grill on, but from uh, from from a smoking meat standpoint, that's probably one I'd I'd try to stay away from. Jack, I I agree with Kevin on that. Mesquite is is difficult on ribs. It gives a, it imparts a bitter flavor. I think to ribs. Oh, like you're to gonna stay. have all the Texans mad at you. <laughs> I like to stay away from a I like to stay away from a straight hickory fire as well. I think if you oversmoke with hickory, you can get on the other end of bitter as well. So. I like to stay in the milder woods with ribs and, and uh, you know, the, the pecans and the fruit woods will stay in that area. You staying away from anything, Craig, in particular? <laughs> the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you still there, Craig? Oh, I'm sorry. Was that aimed at me? Yeah, this was your question. Now it's your turn to answer. <laughs> uh, well, I, I buy the mesquite answer. Uh, I, love, I have a love-hate relationship with Hickory. Um, I've... Uh, uh, some of the best ribs I've ever done were hickory, and some of the worst ribs I've ever done with was hickory. And I, I think it's just a matter of uh, using too much of it. What temperature do you guys keep your pit at while you're cooking ribs? 
And we'll start with Finney. Anywhere between 235, 250 normally. Uh, a lot of times towards the end of the cook, I'll, I'll get it up in the range towards 300. But uh, for the, the bulk of the time that they're on there, they're somewhere around 235 to 250. Kevin? Yeah, 250. That's the temp for me. Jack? When I'm using the Joe, I'll I'll pretty much go with whatever that thing will settle down at. The stick burners just kind of like to go to a point and, and settle down, and, and wherever you can get that thing to, to hold for you at is is where you where you need to go. If I'm using something I got some control over, uh, the Weber Smoky Mountains or or you know the Clone or whatever I'm a gasser or something along those lines, I like to cook ribs right about two thirty five, two forty. Uh, you know, not not to go above two fifty five or so if I can if I can make that happen. Craig. I uh, I target 225. Um, I, I don't want to get too hot because uh, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to boil moisture out. I really want to keep uh, moisture in. I think uh, the lower you go, the moisture you're going to be, and the higher you go, the you get those proteins in a bunch, and uh, you get tougher meat. Tell us what your method for cooking ribs is, and what I, what I mean by that is you've now taken your ribs; they're on the cooker. Uh, do you follow a three to one method? Are you foiling at some point? You know, break it, uh, break it down, and uh, we'll start with Craig. Yeah, I've been. I, I like to foil. I actually have a little recipe I call my uh, Vermont uh, uh, pig candy, which uh, is a uh, a foil technique with apple juice, and then I take the liquid out of there after I remove the foil. After about two three hours, uh, after about two three hours, I'll foil it up with uh, apple juice and uh, about a half hour is all. Again, I think a lot of folks leave it in the foil way too long and it gets mushy. Uh, just a little bit of steam and a little bit of moisture into those fibers is all it takes. And uh, then I'll take that liquid that comes off there and I won't throw it away. I'll, uh, I'll throw in some maple syrup or something and make a glaze out of it and have fun with that. Jack? I, I follow a, I guess it all depends what I'm doing. If I'm cooking ribs for the home, for the house, and we're just going to have a bunch of people over or you know, we're going to feed the family, I'll, I'll throw them on there and let them go. Uh, when I'm in a contest, of course, you have to follow some kind of a of a method. I think the best ribs I ever cooked in a contest, I didn't use any foil on, uh, although I can say the most consistent ribs that I ever cooked uh, over the course of the last five or six years have been following a, 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 a loose 3 two, one It's more or less of, a, of an appearance for me. Uh, I'll put them on for two, three hours in the smoke and let them get, uh, you know, let a little bark form up on there. Uh, I'll, put a, I'll put a little bit of apple juice down in the, in the foil and, and wrap them up. I, I, I may wrap them tight. Uh, I may not, depending on how I feel that day or what's going on with, with the weather or so on and so forth. Uh, usually it's a fairly tight wrap, though, and I'll let them sit in there until they pull back off the bone. I, I, we, we keep on checking them. We watch them, and we, we watch what they're doing. And, and every every piece of meat on every pig and every and every hog and every thing you ever do acts a little bit differently. So each each one is a – you can't say it, it's a 3-2-1 method. You can say it's a it's a three in the smoke and then wrap in the foil and then watch them pull back off of that bone maybe you know a quarter of an inch or so. And then you get them out of the foil and let them dry out a little bit in the pit and let them reform up the bark. Uh, then it's a matter of let them sit in a pit after they come out of the foil until they get to a consistency. Lately, I've been uh, using a toothpick uh, to, to test the consistency, the doneness of the ribs. Uh, before that, and commercially, when I was you know cooking in the restaurants and stuff like that, we'd pick them up and watch them bend. And when they were just getting ready to break in the middle, we called them done and we'd take them off. 
Kevin. I use what would be, uh, I guess you could call it a modified uh, method of the three, two, one. A couple hours, uh, yeah, just like I, uh, like Jack just said. I mean, I, I look for the bar color and then I wrap. Uh, and I'll keep them wrapped for an hour. And then uh, I'll open them up and let them finish unwrapped. Finny? Well, I'm pretty much with with everybody with uh it's a variation of the of the three two one a lot of times uh sometimes with baby backs uh i'll do them for three hours and then wrap them for 45 minutes and then uh i'll take the heat up a little bit in the weber smoky mountain to about 300 and do them for another 45 minutes that way uh Spares are usually somewhere with the three, two, one method, uh, and I have just you know thrown them on there and done done nothing. Just let them cook and came out with great ribs just doing that. And every once in a while, I just like to do them on the Weber kettle too. Just just put them on there and let them cook at a little bit higher heat and get them done. Get them get them eaten. That's going to do it for part one of the ribs roundtable discussion. Be sure to join us for part two. See you on the backside.